0: It's Hanukkah, it's so good, but I want us to be family today, well we are family, but I want us, as we are family today, I want to share a story, I want to talk story, because you know, it's interesting, you talk about Hanukkah, and like I said, even as a Jew growing up, I really didn't understand what it was all about, it was just my Jewish Christmas, and so many people today, even people in the church, as a matter of fact, most of the church really doesn't have a clue what Hanukkah's all about. It's just that thing that those people do. And they have a, a different menorah than they do the rest of the year, with seven strands. And, and a Hanukkah bush, which, you know, if you don't know what a Hanukkah bush is, go to your Christmas tree lot and you'll see a whole bunch of them out there. <laughs> Or you wonder why the house has blue lights instead of all the different colored lights. So, but I want to share the, the meaning of, of Hanukkah, because sometimes it gets lost in, in the glitz of all that's going on. So um, <clears throat> why we celebrate it, it's not one of the major feasts. It's not considered the Moadim, the feast of the Lord, but it is one of the feasts. It's about God's blessing upon a faithful remnant that would not compromise. Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah. And for no other reason to celebrate Hanukkah, Yeshua himself, Jesus, went to Jerusalem and celebrated it. So if you would, turn to John chapter 10. I know we read this earlier, but it wasn't my message. It was somebody else's message. In verse 22, Then came Hanukkah. And Hanukkah literally means dedication. So it's the feast, the festival of dedication. It was winter in Jerusalem. Yeshua was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. (coughs) Then the Judean leaders surrounded him, saying, How long will you hold us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us outright. Yeshua answered them, I told you, but you don't believe. The words, the works that I do in my Father's name testify concerning me. But you don't believe because you are not my sheep. Talking about sheep again. There you go, David. We're talking about sheep again. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. The Father speaks. And his children hear his voice and they still do. They still do. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That right there is a promise you can hold on to. If you're one of his kids, you're one of his sheep, you hear his voice. And you're in his hands and nothing can snatch you out of his hands. That's good news. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I love this verse. I and the Father are one. And that drove those religious leaders crazy. That just wanted to, that want, they wanted to kill him at that point. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Powerful passage of scripture. Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah and declared his deity, declared that he was in fact the Messiah. He was in the temple for this public declaration of his deity in the temple, saying he is the Messiah, Mashiach El, the Messiah of God. Not another deliverer like Moshe or Judah Maccabee, but the Messiah Mashiach El. See, but there was a problem in a lot of the people as they they had religious ears, but they didn't have ears to hear the Father of what He was selling celeb- what He was saying. We celebrate Hanukkah. We celebrate a faithful remnant in the face of massive persecution. And I want us to go to some scriptures in Daniel chapter eleven. And I don't know. If you have all those scriptures, and that's okay, Mike. But um, I want to start in verse 29 of Daniel chapter 11. And, and Daniel 11 is incredible because it, it prophesies about something that had not taken place. It prophesies actually about Hanukkah. So, And it's very specific Actually, I want to encourage you to read the whole chapter, chapter 11. Just read the whole book of Daniel. It's incredible. But 11.29 says, At that appointed time, he will invade the south again, only this time the outcome will not be as before. The ships of Kittim will come against him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his rage against the holy covenant. When he returns, he will favor those who forsake the holy covenant. This is talking about, talking about an anti-messiah, talking about the, the abomination, the, the, just this terrible, evil man. His forces, verse 31, his forces will rise up and profane the fortified temple. They will stop the daily offerings and set up the abomination of desolation. They will do this. And that's what Hanukkah was all about. Verse 32, this is an incredible... You could probably turn it down a little bit. This is an incredible passage of Scripture in verse 32. With smooth words, he will seduce those who act wickedly against the covenant. But the people who know their God will stand strong and prevail. Let me read that one again. The people... Who know their God will stand strong and prevail. He's talking about something that was to take place, talking about the Maccabeans, Judah and the Maccabees, but he's also talking about us when we're facing persecution, those who know their God will stand strong because he is a warrior God. He's always worked for the few. Look. He's always worked for the few, whether it be Gideon or David. He uses a remnant. And sometimes we think, God, is there anybody else? Remember Isaiah asked that question, there's nobody else, I'm the only one. And God says, no, you're not. There's 7,000 others that I called. Sometimes God always, he, he, he works with a few, a remnant. And this is what Judah said, Judah Maccabee said, victory in war does not depend upon the size of the army, but on the strength that comes from heaven. We celebrate the feast of the light of the world. You see, the rabbis, they look at the menorah, which is a symbol of Judaism. The menorah is the light of the world. Yeshua says, I am the light of the world in John chapter 2. 8 verse 12, that's actually our life verse. It's our congregational verse here. It says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. They have a light that gives life. Yeshua is that light and that life, and he lives inside of us. And then Yeshua says to the believers in Matthew five fourteen, you are the light of the world. Yeshua told the story of Hanukkah in Matthew chapter 24. We're not going to go there right now. I'm not going to read those scriptures, but I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 24, 15 through 18. He tells the story of Hanukkah, but he tells it in the context, well, he tells the story of of what's going to happen in the last days, but he tells in this in the context of something that had already taken place because Hanukkah had already taken place. Now Hanukkah is not in the scriptures itself because it happened during the what's called the intertestamental period, the 400 years from. The, the last of the prophets, to um, the beginning of, of where we read in Matthew chapter 1, 400 years. And Hanukkah happened about 165 B.C. So Yeshua goes to celebrate this thing that had taken place about 160 years earlier. And he tells the story in Matthew 24. Well, he says about what the last days are going to be like, but he, used, he talks about it in context of what took place at Hanukkah. The abomination that causes desolation, standing in the holy place that we read in, in Daniel, that's going to happen in the end days. A very turbulent, violent time, great anguish, warfare, division all over the place. False messiahs were rising up, even at the time of Yeshua. You know, there was others who claimed to be the messiah too. There was the, um, what was his name, you, you, Judah the Zealot. Um, <clears throat> was his, that? What was his name? Bar Kokhba. Um, All of these people were rising up saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. And they're even rising up today. You got a letter from one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. He hasn't showed up yet. We're waiting for him to show up because he has a word to speak to us. And I said, no, he's not going to speak anything in here. But like I said, Yeshua tells the story of the future event the last days in the context of one that already took place. But the disciples understood what he was talking about. We celebrate the rededication of God's temple because it had been desecrated during the time of Hanukkah. And uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, actually, he was a Greek of Seleucid. How do you pronounce that? Seleucid. Seleucid, he was a Greek, Hellenistic, evil guy, and he kind of followed Alexander the Greek, Greek, Alexander the Great, he was a Greek too. Alexander the Greek was a great. I'm telling a story today, okay? We're talking story, so enjoy it. But uh, he he had actually gone to war against Egypt and was humiliated. He came back to Jerusalem, sacked the city, and he ransacked the, the temple and set up false gods in there. Judah the Maccabee was from a town called Moedim, which is... Uh, uh, not too far from Jerusalem. And it's actually a a town that's still there today. And um, this this family rose up and they said, we have got to go and rededicate, take back that temple. That is God's place. That is God's house. And we need to take that place. And it's interesting because the priority of that remnant, the Maccabeans, was to, to cleanse the place first. Not just to defeat militarily the Greeks, but to cleanse the altar that had been defiled with pig's blood. And then after that was done, we know that the temple was rededicated. That's that Hanukkah, dedication, rededication, temple of the Holy Spirit. And it was an eight-day celebration. Now, most of us have heard the story of the, the oil, that there was enough oil to burn, and they lit it, but it was only enough oil for one day. and But it burned for eight days, which is an incredible miracle. This is a season of miracles. Now, I, I have to tell you this, is I don't know if that actually happened. I don't know if that actually take play, took place. There's no historical evidence that took place. It could have, but we don't know for sure, Okay. But the eight-day festival was also because the people were not, a few months earlier when Sukkot was, Sukkot is an eight-day festival. They were not allowed to keep the Sukkot. So now they decided to make, let's make it the Sukkot at Hanukkah, the dedication. So for eight days, they set aside and to observe Sukkot. But I want to just tell the story of Hanukkah a little bit more, a little bit more detail here. It's, it's not just a story of the, the taking back of the temple, but it's a, is, there's a war of worldviews that's taking place. And it's so similar to what is happening today in our world. Greek Hellenism, um, which is today's secularism, has swept through the known world. This is before the Roman Empire. And it was interesting because it was the first empire that actually mandated that everybody would speak the same language. So Greek became everything. Greek learning, Greek philosophies and theologies and gods became all over the world. But then there's the kingdom of God. So this was the the war that was taking place. You talk about culture wars that we're experiencing today. It's not anything new. They've been going on for thousands of years. In Jerusalem, and the place of the temple was that the center of the kingdom of God. There was no idols in there. It was a place of, of, of worship, it was a place of, of, of prayer for all the nations. But unfortunately, what happened, and, and I want us to turn to, and um, we're going to put it up here um, the story of Hanukkah is, like I said, it's not actually in the scriptures. But we're going to read from the Maccabees, the first book of Maccabees, and a little from the second book of Maccabees, which is apocryphal writings that were not canonized, but there's a lot of history in them. In First Maccabees chapter 1, verse 11, it says, In those days, certain rene- renegades came out from Israel and misled many, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles around us, For since we separated from them, many disasters have come upon us. This proposal pleased them. And some of the people eagerly went to the king who authorized them to observe the ordinances of the Gentiles. So they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem, according to Gentile custom, and removed the marks of circumcision. Tell me how that must have felt. We're not going to go there. And abandoned the holy covenant. They joined with the Gentiles and sold themselves to do evil. The the gymnasium, the, the worship of the body became more important than the temple of God. The physical body was worshiped over spiritual identification. They had themselves, some of them, surgically uncircumcised. That's what I'm talking about. Had to do that. And you know what? You think, well, this is crazy. Who would do that today? But there's actually a movement to outlaw to make illegal circumcision. And it's a sign of the covenant. It's basically saying we don't care about our birthright. You were talking about birthright, and that's a sign of a covenant. Birthright for a Jew is circumcision. Let's do away with that. We don't need that anymore. Let's become like everybody else. They despise their God-given right. That's what was happening in Jerusalem and Israel at that time. The synagogue, instead of place, a place where they studied the scriptures, studied the Torah, it became a place to debate the latest philosophy that came about. And unfortunately, too many synagogues today are places of debate of the latest philosophy. I can tell you, firsthand knowledge. And if we go to 2nd Maccabees chapter 6, that this evil man, Antiochus IV, he actually named himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God in the flesh, God in man. He named himself God in man. In 2 Maccabees 6, 1, 11, I don't know if you'll be able to go along totally, but I'm going to read this kind of a, a paraphrased. They abandoned the customs of their ancestors and lived no longer by the laws of God profane the temple, and dedicate it to Olympian Zeus. They brought in the temple things that were forbidden. The altar was covered with abominable abominable offerings prohibited by the laws. A man could not keep the Shabbat or celebrate the traditional feasts, nor even admit that he was a Jew. Put to death those who would not consent to adopt the customs of the Greeks. This is actually in the scripture. Two women were arrested for having circumcised their children were publicly paraded about the city with babies hanging at their breasts and then thrown down from the top of the city walls. Others were were betrayed to Philip and burned to death. The decrees of this evil man, this Hellenistic god-man, Antiochus IV, five of them, you shall profane the Shabbat. When God's word says, it is a Shabbat to the Lord in all your dwellings. This Antiochus said, you shall profane the festivals and the holy days. When God himself says, these are holy convocations, which you shall proclaim. You shall have no other God before you. Antiochus said, you shall set up idols. They set up an idol to Zeus right in the temple. Also says, you shall eat. And when it says you shall, it's not like a request. It is a command. You shall eat unclean animals. When God specifically says to the Jewish people, these are the animals you are not to eat. Then he says, you shall not circumcise your sons. You know, a few years ago, it was maybe four or five years ago, in San Francisco, there was actually a a proposal on a ballot to outlaw circumcision in the city. I don't know if it passed or not. I don't. I, I didn't hear anything about it. But it also says, "You shall forget Torah." As a matter of fact, if you studied the Torah, this was one of the the decrees of Antichrist. If you shall forget Torah, if you studied the Torah, it was death. It was death. He's also known as the man, the man of lawlessness, or the man of Torahlessness, and he's a precursor of the Antichrist that is going to be coming in the end days. And we read about that. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So much of what's going to be happening in the last days is a picture of what took place at Hanukkah. In 165 B.C. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of Torahlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. This day is coming. I don't know how soon, but I believe it is coming soon. And goes on in verse 8 through 11, 2 Thessalonians 2. He says, Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. Hallelujah. The breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. There's so many correlations between the Israel of the days that Daniel prophesied about, the days of Antiochus, there's so many correlations between that day and the day that we're living in today. It was a fragmented society. It was a time when the Greek empire was beginning to kind of dissolve under its own weight. It was just before the, the Roman empire seceded it. It was a time of great turmoil. as fragmented to society, rich versus poor. And I just... I just look at the things that have taken place and, and, and we're in a culture war today. Of all the, it's not just rich versus war, but people are trying to put races against races, you know, ethnic ethnos against ethnos, women against men, blurring the lines between women and men. In that day, as it's today, all want to do, what was right in their own eyes instead of using the Word of God as the standard for everything that we do. As a matter of fact, the Word of God in those days, as it is today, is reinterpreted to accommodate the times that we're living in. In other words, we look at our circumstances. And we see how God's word fits into our circumstances instead of saying how we fit into God's word in his plans. We got it all bass backwards, is what my mom, my mom and dad used to say. You ever heard that term? <laughs> oh, boy. Political correct, PC, the whole thing with, you know, a few years ago with the whole marriage thing, you know, gay marriage, all of this, and, and, and even it's creeped into the church. I shared last week, and I saw this, and it made me sick. Maybe some of you saw it. There was a, a church. It was a particular denomination, and the parents were up there with their kids, and this, this mother was so proud of her son because he just decided, he was four years old, he decided he's no longer a boy, he's a girl. And he proclaimed it in front of the congregation. And they all went, yay, awesome. The kid didn't even know what he was doing. His mother is saying, say these words, say these words. I was born this, but I'm now this. And you know, that's what happens if we unhitch ourselves from the scriptures of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the prophets. And I know a few years ago, there was was somebody who I respected, a large church, large denomination, you know, but basically he said Peter and John, the apostles, they had to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament scriptures in order to follow Yeshua. He came right out and said it. And I listened to it and I heard that. I said he didn't really say that, but he did say that. But so many of us, if we unhitch ourselves from the scriptures of old, from the old covenant, it's, it's the Tanakh, it's, it's the Torah, it's the prophets, then we have no basis for, for this, the, the disciples themselves, the apostles, what did they quote from? They quoted from Torah. They quoted from the Tanakh. They quoted from the prophets. And today, everything, all authority is being Challenged. Cancel culture. If you do not believe the way that I believe, then we will do away with you. Cancel culture. Yeah, yeah. So, because you believe something that... First of all, they they had this mis belief that somehow Torah, somehow God's word brings us into bondage. And we need to break those chains that keep us in bondage. And yet the Torah and the prophets, God's word brings freedom to us. He says, this is good for you. This is good for you. If you do this, it's not going to be good for you. But nobody's going to tell me what to do. It was a time back then and today, religion, tradition replace simple faith, grace-based relationship with God. That's why all year I've been saying, God is saying, come back to me. Come back. It's all about intimacy. He wants us to come back to that place of intimacy through his word, through his spirit, but as sons and daughters who cry out, Abba, Father. That's what he's calling us back to. Not just going to church, not just, you know, We've been challenged, this is kind of off script, but we've been challenged over this year. You know, um, don't assemble, don't come together. Churches and congregations have been encouraged not to meet together because of the, the virus, COVID. And, but we're going to do things online. We're going to do things online and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's something missing. That's what I said at the beginning of the service. Something. There's something in me that cries out for human contact, that we need one another. And God spoke, like I said, to the Kehilah, to the kahal, the called out ones, the assembly of the called out ones, to the children of Israel. And he speaks out to us as a congregation. Not just as a roll out of bed and turn on your 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 iPad and watch the, the service that's taking place over there, we lose that human contact. Back then, at the time of Hanukkah, as it is today, the priesthood, the ministry was compromised by money and politics rather than worship and care for people. God is saying, come back to my ways. I'm going to bring things to a close here. We see the character of God in the celebration of Hanukkah. Second Chronicles 16:9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely impacted, who is completely his. He's searching for those who are sold out for him. He loves to come to our aid. And especially in impossible situations. That's what I was saying. If you haven't seen a miracle, ask God to show you a miracle. You become a miracle to somebody else. Pray over somebody and rejoice when that healing comes. We also see God is strong in battle. If you look at Exodus chapter 15, the song of the song of Miriam, they had the Red Sea was parted and they passed through and their enemies were defeated and they broke into song and worship because God went before them and is mighty in battle and he is mighty today in battle. He expects to, us to march with him in battle too. We also see in Hanukkah that God is Israel's protector. In Zechariah two five says, For I, declares Adonai, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. And Isaiah 8.10 says, Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And if you don't believe that God is Israel's protector, ask Haman. Boo! Ask Haman. Antiochus, Epiphanes, ask Adolf Hitler, ask the the ayatollahs in Iran. God is Israel's protector. He's our protector. Wendy, why don't you come on up and get ready for some closing worship? The path before us, and this is, I'm going to bring these to a close now. The path before us impacts our destiny. Are we looking for comfort? And this is a time of of rededication. Rededication of this temple. We celebrate the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem, but it's also a time where we rededicate these temples. What am I seeking? What are my priorities? Am I seeking pleasure or temporal fun things over eternity. It's also a time of dealing with compromise in our life. The Lord's been speaking to us a lot about the divine judgment because of his love that he brings to sweep away, sweep away the stuff in our lives, including compromise. Compromise starts with just a little bit of veering from the truth. But it's like if you're at sea and you're using the lights on shore to guide you. And pretty soon, if you see more than several lights, and you're going to be distracted which light to follow. Compromises, it starts with little things. But there are consequences to our thoughts and our actions. God is calling us to not compromise. I loved it when I first heard Keith Green's album. It was an album back in those days. No Compromise. God is calling us to be the Judah Maccabees of this day. No Compromise. He's calling us to commitment. What will I trust when the shaking comes? But you know what? The shaking is here shaking is here. What are we putting our trust in? So how do I let my light shine if His light is living in me? And it is. Do you stand with me? His light is living, living in me. How do I let His light shine in me? It's consecration. It's rededication. These temples, what do I mean by that? The words we speak. Our tongues. Our hearts. Some of our hearts have become cold and hard because of all the things that we've experienced. Dysfunctional families, just the things that have been going on around us. We get cold-hearted. We even get an attitude of nothing is going to change, so why bother? Let God soften that heart. We need to rededicate our minds, consecrate our minds our thought lives. What are we thinking about? Where do we go when these thoughts come? Are we taking every thought captive according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to obedience to his word? Minds. Renewing our minds. Thinking more like God. He says you renew your minds. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind think differently. How many of you think differently today than you did maybe 10 years ago about God, about others, about yourself? But that's an ongoing process. It's a rededication of our feet. What do I mean by that? Where we go, the places we go, rededicating that. I used to go here, I used to do this, but now I don't want to do that anymore. Rededicating our ears. Yeshua said, My sheep hear my voice. If we're his sheep, then we have the ability, or he wouldn't have said it. We have the ability to hear his voice. But sometimes that hearing, and I have problems with my hearing. My wife says, I'm losing my hearing. I don't know about that. My natural hearing. But you know what? I'm beginning to really focus in on what God is saying. Now, He speaks to us in different ways. He speaks to us first and foremost through His Word. But He also speaks to us because He's living in us. We get nudges. We get impressions. We get visions. We get pictures. We get dreams. God's speaking to us all the time. Are we hearing what He's saying? And I guarantee when He speaks to us, it will go along with what He says in His his Word. Rededicating our eyes. That's a big one. There is so much, we live in a visual world. Everything, everything is visual. And when you see something, it just, it implants it. It becomes part of, kind of like it settles into the wrinkles of your brain almost. I know Millie and I were having to look at the things that we watch on TV and say, you know what? We're done with that, we're done with that. And you know it's it's not easy. It's not easy, but God is calling us to rededicate our eyes so that we're seeing kingdom stuff. Or that if we see something to be cleansed from that. Next week I just I want to share something that the Lord showed me about pornography. It's 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 worse than cocaine addiction. And yet God has he. He brings freedom to our lives. He wants us to rededicate our our eyes. We don't become a new person by changing our behavior, but by discovering the person you already are in the Messiah. And in that process, our behavior will change. When we discover who we are in him, the behaviors drop off. What I found is I usually got it the other way, backwards. I would try to change my behavior, trying to be more like God, instead of realizing, wait a minute, He's living in me. Understand and know, have a revelation of who you are, and then the behaviors will change. And finally, let the love of Yeshua, He is our shamash, He won't ever burn out. Let the love of Yeshua reignite our love and our joy and our peace. And that word we don't like to hear, patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Let Yeshua reignite those things in us, the fruit of the Spirit. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you never change who you are. You're loving, you're forgiving. You're powerful in battle. Lord, you watch over us. You put a guard around us, Father. You protect us. You provide everything we need. And Father, I pray as this season of dedication, Lord, that we would dedicate these temples to you, Lord. Rededicate our temples, our lips, our hearts that have grown hard or cold our minds where the lie has been become more powerful than the truth our ears that we're not hearing clearly Lord we rededicate them to you our eyes, our feet Lord that we would go where you want us to go and so Lord I pray that this dedication feast of dedication we would make that personal for us In Yeshua's name, amen, amen.